Hello, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Bookable Space. I'm your host, Yvonne Battlefelton, and we're joined by Lynn McAllister. Lynn will be reading to us from and talking about two books. Lynn, thanks so much for joining us. Hello, Yvonne. It's really great to be here and talk about the books. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to it. So we're just going to dive right in. Could you tell us a bit about Pixie Van Dimple and the wrong kind of artificial intelligence? Well, Pixie Van Dimple is a 12-year-old girl. This book is Pixie Van Dimple and the Wrong Kind of Artificial Intelligence. It's almost like a template for another story because all my stories are now going to be Pixie Van Dimple and the Wrong Kind of Something. So this one is about artificial intelligence, although it is really about technology and screen time and online safety and the dangers online that lurk there within. So she is a typical girl. She likes doing things like having sleepovers and eating, but she likes her phone and she lives for her phone, being on her phone, tapping away, scrolling around. And one day she is on it quite a long time and is infiltrated by AI bugs, artificial intelligence bugs called uh, occupators. And the danger is that these occupator bugs can infiltrate your brain and turn you into a clone. <laughs> the drama unfolds and you, we are left to wonder if she's going to survive the whole experience. Obviously, it's, it's a tale of the dangers that lurk online and I'm expanding the whole kind of premise of the story into other things, you know, to do with the things that may be good about technology. So it's tech for good, but also to just raise awareness about maybe the things that the that children should be very aware of when they're online. But it's a humorous story. It's written in, in uh, rhyming kind of prose and uh, it kind of flows. It's easy to read because of that. And it's it sounds good to read aloud as well. Quite entertaining. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing it read. And it just amused me because you said about it, how it, it's written in prose and because it flows. so could we hear a bit from the book please of course i've just picked a an excerpt where it starts as the drama starts to unfold so it says on this day when it happened there was no premonition of anything untoward pixie was on her phone dutifully tapping away as if in fear of her life or indeed getting bored Maybe a little frantic, but it made her happy nonetheless. As time went on and home alone, she did not realise she was reaching the limits of excess. Tapping with fervour, wide eyes locked firmly on the tiny screen. A sudden jolt, a flash, white light, a dozen pinpricks in both eyes. Pixie tried to scream. The AI occupator bugs burrowing through optic nerves to brain, a takeover so positively hostile. Her knees went red, her arms went dead. Brain dulled, she just lay there, immobile. Pixie had, she realised, little conscious mind left of herself before the occupators systematically took charge. She cried inside, she had known the risks, seen the signs, occupators are at large. Occupators were a viral bug threatening to infiltrate the human race. There was only one way to keep them out, and that was to suck them up into cyberspace. The danger limit of phone usage was 2.32 hours before the pesky things got inside your head. 
If an antidote was not administered within 14.24 minutes, then sorry, you were just dead. The AI bugs take over and you would become an artificial clone. Your face will be recognisable, but your eyes just not your own. The authorities had a department which dealt with this technically. An IT designator would rock up, log on and press the key. A classified government programme named Deoccupate would be loaded. You would be chipped, prepared for decrypt, that is to be decoded. Back to Pixie, you might implore. She is in mortal danger. So where did the idea for Pixie and her series come from? Well, I started writing this in, well, I I wrote it all to get all in one or two evenings, actually. It just came out of my head. I was thinking about my own children and their preoccupation with their phones. I think my youngest was possibly nine or 10 and the other one was 11 or 12. And they were both kind of a little bit obsessed. And as parents, you know, we didn't really have much of an idea of how to deal with it, really. There was no, there was not a tremendous amount of guidance around. You know, we talk about privacy and settings now quite a lot. And there's lots of help around now. But there there wasn't quite a few years ago. And I just was so worried about it. I thought, I'm just going to write about it. And then I can raise awareness, maybe signpost people to the right sort of, you know, websites or organisations or whatever, whatever, to find out, you know, how we deal with it as parents and in schools. I did research quite a lot and I, I do follow quite a lot of people on LinkedIn to sort of like hook up with people that know, you know, they're the, they're the experts, is to find out who it is to go to or what to do. And I found a company called Natterhub who have their own platform for schools um, that teaches online safety. So they had quite a lot of the answers there for primary school age, like the books are for primary school age children between, say, 9 and 12, which is the prime time, really, for when they start getting their mobile phones and devices, although they are getting on devices quite a lot younger than that now because they are available. They weren't available to my daughter, who is now 15, when she was a bit younger then the the whole mobile phone multimedia phones came out in about 2008 I think mm. so after that you know they're able to just about all the children that um you know around the house that their parents have the phones and they get quite obsessed with them because obviously they want to be doing what we're doing I love so, that yeah. your idea of it was like there's a problem how can I solve it I'm gonna write I'm gonna write a and book <laughs> well I didn't think I was I I, I obviously I wrote it and I thought well I don't know how what the first thing to do is to how how to actually get a book published or where to go it was quite difficult to sort of know how to actually get it off the ground so I look you know you 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 search the thing the first thing you normally do is like search on the internet so how do I how do I publish a book and one of the first things that comes up if you do that is um, a company called Austin McCauley they are a company that do publishing, but they also, it's sort of like a, a hybrid version. So you kind of pay towards the production of the book, which needed to have the illustrations. And that was another thing. I didn't know how to get that done either. So the reason for going with Austin McCauley was one, because you get it done quite quickly. And two, because they had the facility there to get all the illustrations done as well. Um, and the book that came out I was quite pleased with it because it looks quite nice. It's quite a big book, actually. 
but it is nicely presented. It looks quite um, engaging for children looking in the front cover with the phone. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, it, it all came about like that in, in a bit of an accident, really. And it took a while to sort of get all the illustrations done, all the formatting done and get it sort of to the point of being published. So you have to have lead time on it. And most people do, you know, you have to sort of decide this is when it's going to happen and then go from there. And then the marketing all starts after that. So it's quite, it's quite a lot of work involved, really. No, you're right. Did you do your marketing? Did you like, were you the one who developed the plan or does the company help do that? Or how did they, that? They help to a degree. So they, they do give you a lot of guidance, but a lot of it is left to you. So you kind of, I've, I've over the last two or three years, maybe three, three, four years, I've researched how to, to do marketing and and hooked up with lots of other people that are authors, you know, through LinkedIn or, or I ha- was connected for a short time with Sue Atkins and her and a book club. And within that book club, we had quite a number of other authors, about like 50 or 60 authors. And we'd have like group Zoom calls to talk about marketing strategies you know, you can imagine how many books there are out there for children and how difficult it is to get seen or heard. <laughs> it is it's very difficult unless you have, I mean, even using social media, you know, I've read lots of interesting articles about social media and how we've heard lots of things about Twitter lately and how Elon Musk has taken over Twitter. But you've really got to work hard to to even get notice on there because it how many people are actually, if they're even if they're your followers, are going to look at see all your posts coming through? Because I don't, you know, unless you unless your algorithm is directly contact, you know, in connected with what I'm posting to other people, they're not going to see it in their feed. You know, if you put my name and it will start to come through, or Pixie Van Dimple as the the character or the book, it will start to come through the feed. But otherwise, it's it just disappears. I was called the algorithms are like little magnets you know you know how it changes track every time you go and look at another subject and this fascinates me as well you know it's 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 all part of the whole kind of you know the interesting sort of information surrounding the, the book because it's all about technology which is totally ubiquitous now so Uh, There's so much to talk about with technology. I'm quite fascinated with all the other types of technology like AR and VR and holograms and what's coming in the future and robots. Whether artificial intelligence has any sentient feelings (laughs) or could be a robot that that feels things like a human would, that kind of thing. There's books written about that, I think, that's quite interesting. It's, It's something that children in the future might you know be experiencing you know being friends with a, a robot for example we are aren't we we have Alexa in our houses don't we I was thinking I could imagine someone being like you know how people are saying well if kids are on the screen all the time and they're not making friends and someone is like I've thought about that already and so yeah. and they're like making you know technical friends or technological friends for kids but could we have another reading please okay, I'll carry on from where I left off because then we'll see what, a little bit about what happens next so we've got to shoot. Pixie Van Dimple is in mortal danger. And then they must act fast before the die is cast and the bugs begin to change her. Six minutes gone and still no one about to call the Ministry of Decryption. Pixie's pulse was slow, her BP low, caused by the advancing vasoconstriction. 
Time was running out, being no doubt. The bugs had taken control of her transformation. Pixie Van Dimple would be no more a victim of her own mobile phone fixation. Now you would be right in thinking she had no chance of a last-ditch rescue. But you had not counted on a miracle, a chance in one million. No, two. Uncle Pete, who had wandered off the past two years to work in Belarus, had returned unannounced to the house after just getting off the bus. Uncle Pete had a spare key, got in and flung the lounge door open wide, saw Pixie lying there and thought that she had died. He had the wherewithal to check her pulse and saw her pupils were bright red. He recognised the signs of AI infiltration and recoiled full of dread. But in a flash, he dropped his bags, leapt like a ninja across the carpet to the hall. And with his fist, arm outstretched, he punched the panic button on the wall. Suddenly, a man flew past the window on a skateboard, clutching a laptop aloft his head. He was wearing a suit, a man bag to boot, which had in it a loaf of bread. He swung around onto the drive and once through the open door, he took a dive into the lounge to see if Pixie was still alive. She was just... So he plugged in the laptop and clamped the decryptor cuff to Pixie's wrist. The app popped up, tap, tap, tap. The symptoms should thankfully desist. With eight seconds to spare, the job was done and Pixie was revived. It was a very good thing that Derek from the ministry lived at number five. He had been on his way home from work and his bleeper had gone off. Head office had it on record that Derek was attending the scene as this information had come up immediately on their screen. He had grabbed his son's skateboard to give himself the edge, flung himself down the lane, mounted the curb and cleared the hedge to number 12. The rest is happy in its conclusion, a relief for Pixie and the Van Dimples. So can you tell us about Pixie Van Dimple and the wrong kind of plastic? The wrong kind of plastic. I wrote this... It's a bit longer and there's a few more words in it and there's a few more quite complicated words in it. But I wanted it to be an interesting read. Every time I put my plastic recycling outside, I was kind of a little bit horrified about the amount of it going into my, you know, the packaging that comes with absolutely everything these days. And bottles and you see them everywhere. You walk along the street and you see them in, you know, rivers and just about everywhere and you hear about them all kind of like on beaches and everything I was absolutely horrified about the amount of recycling that going out and I thought you know how are we going to deal with it had no idea at the time this is like going back about three years or so you know recycling has been a thing for quite some time but it was it's becoming a little bit kind of you know quite important now that we try and deal with it and raise awareness I'd wrote this particular story and it does involve, you know, unilateral collaboration. <laughs> we come to sort of realise that we're a global world now and we have the means to transmit a message all around the world with the internet. So I try to bring all these concepts and themes into the book so that we, we know that it's an important thing that we have to to sort of have this collaboration with between nations and within worlds in order to try and sort of sort problems out because one problem doesn't it's, it's affecting a lot of people so yeah it's, it's all about the seaside it's about well pixie is going to the seaside with her family 
it's always the same format because she always gets herself into a lot of trouble. And then she witnesses something terrible and then it, everything becomes okay again. Then she thinks, well, I've got really got to raise awareness about this and try and sort of, you know, use my powers as, a, as a, an ambassador to raise awareness with other people and children so that they know that the, there's a problem, it can be dealt with, let's tackle it together and join forces. A bit like Greta Thunberg, I guess, who has uh, kind of captured our imaginations to, to try and do things, something for good. So again, it's trying to work out what the best route is, what's the best choices are, and how to get there. I like that she makes mistakes, like, you know, like we all make mistakes. And then that she also gets to learn from them and then turn into an ambassador for change yeah. and see how she can affect change. So for our final reading, could we hear from the book, please? I'm just coming in when the drama is starting to unfold and Pixie and Trixie has her sister are absolutely petrified sitting on the beach watching it all happen. So we go in here. What of Pixie and Trixie? They were petrified, praying on their knees this apocalyptic horror would stop, please. They were witnessing the beginning of the end. Mm, We are so a bit like over this saying, the gist of it being, please cease. All around the girls, death and destruction ensued, the likes of it never witnessed before. On a scale of one to ten, since you ask, this was spectacularly very hardcore. While pandemonium raged, word had got out, local militia had been mobilised. Social media was streaming live pictures. GPS was doing its thing and the threat of imminent world destruction was globalised. Was only a matter of time, though, before the internet lines went dead, as the internet packages travelled the world across the oceans in cables via the seabed. World leaders needed to act fast and unite. Get that super strength laser beam to ignite. Tragedy is the thing in the sea had to be stopped. Do something quick. Go on, make haste. It was getting bigger and bigger, fueled by more plastic waste. The newly formed entente sans prejudice, evolution of the restoration of the earth, global body known as despair scrambled a virtual meeting of the highest level to reluctantly declare that the -the off-the-scale security risk to the Earth spelt danger with a capital D. Classified, press the button that authorises procedure, code E. Extreme situation equals help. Trials not complete, some parts in production, the gigantic laser ship docked out in space. Over to eco-defence, who weren't certain that powerful laser wouldn't vaporise the entire human race. It had to be done, though, fat chance of the Iron Man stepping out to sort it out. The very supreme leader of eco-defence was the one with all the clout. Input the coordinates, tap in the code from the secret location, verify twice with the unilateral corroboration. Countdown begins if the plans to succeed, the creature will diminish at superfast speed. The remnants of fish and zap plastic residue would be extracted from Earth through a colossal space flu. Just get on with it. With a sombre and reflective air, heavy with regret, the deed was done and the laser beam target set. The world waited in a catatonic state, unable to comprehend what happened next could precipitate the end of everything oh my i love how you're reading this like really doomy like thing and you just smile on your face 
it is is doomy and gloomy it's um, obviously before that happened Pixie had gone to the seaside with her family and decided they were going to go off and she she and her sister went off to get some sweets from the sweet shop and had loads of bags of plastic bags full of like plastic containers and things didn't know what to do with it and then just threw it in the sea and when it was thrown into the sea you know that that was the end you know that was the thing that tipped everything over the edge and all the plastic waste in the sea came together in a vortex and created this massive monster it was trying to say what are you doing to me because obviously it's all this plastic pollution and nets and everything that's in the ocean and pollution of chemicals whatever they're all kind of having an effect on the ecosystems in the ocean and on the marine life so there are serious kind of issues there and there's serious messages but the whole kind of monster was started off being very kind of you know sad and horrified and in pain and all those things but then it turned angry and started to want to sort of fight back so it was casting missiles out from its its own body across the beach and, and wiping people out that are all around there. Because <laughs> it has to have some, like, you know, destruction in it. <laughs> and so that's why everybody was getting involved. There was sort of people around like they do with their mobile phones trying to film it. And, and it was getting <laughs> zapped around the world. It's like, what's going on? And so the whole kind of world was watching to see what was going to happen next. And and it did it, the Iron Man kind of inspired me a bit because that was about a massive creature, wasn't it? That was like you know completely misunderstood and everything. But um, I quite enjoyed writing that. <laughs> it's quite oh, fun. That's wonderful. So where can we buy the books? We can buy the books on. They're all. They're both on Amazon. Definitely on Amazon, and they're on lots of other online platforms as well, such as Waterstones and Barnes and Noble and if you put Pixie Van Dimple into Google you get all the ways of of being able to buy it but I guess a lot of people buy things off Amazon which is possibly the easiest although Amazon is taking over the world a little bit (laughs) as we're talking about that'll be your next book (laughs) yes Pixie Van Dimple the wrong kind of Amazon (laughs) wrong wrong kind of like um, online platform I'm not sure. What kind of fashion might be the next one, actually? I, I was looking into that fashion and uh, the circular economy because actually they're trying very hard to get the fashion industry to, uh, you know, to get in. Well, they, in fact, they are making quite a lot of progress with trying to get the fashion industry into into sustainable kind of growth. That was using, my daughter's PhD. Yeah. Was it? Yeah, yeah. Really? Business of sustainable fashion. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. I've been following... Queen of Raw, Stephanie Benedetto, who, and have you heard of Deadstock? No. Um, well, Deadstock, obviously, when, when there's lots of materials being used for designs and making clothes, there's a lot of offcuts from dead, you know, Deadstock, it's called, because it's, it's a waste product, but it just ends up in landfill. So she has turned all that Deadstock into uh, profit by cataloging, well, she catalogues a lot of it using some kind of blockchain technology. Um, which is fast track transitions. So if you if you're using such a powerful tool to catalogue everything, it means that lots of people can buy it at once. It's turning that whole concept of waste into profit, and that's what we kind of need to do is to to drive that through 
so that companies are, um, and people are hanging on to that sort of concept because there's a lot, so much waste now that you have to think of it as trying to either, either stop consumption, um, you know, that's another one of my blogs about consumption for kids because if we're consuming constantly, there's going to be a lot of waste and it's not a circular economy, it's a linear one where you go, you know, take your eat, it's, it's sort of using it up, wearing it out and then chucking it out. You know, we don't want to do that. <laughs> we want to bring it back into, bring the things back into the economy. So we have to make sure we know what, we, what we're using, what materials we're using that are going to be sustainable. It's quite a complex thing. I think most of it's really trying to persuade people that's what we want to do. And it's profit and more of the anthropological kind of look concepts involved in production things and design i love this so they, planning on like <laughs> as your form of advocacy again like you're, you're like I, yeah. I, I should write about it and i think you're right and i think there'll be kids who are you know ready to hear it and, and wanting to do something about it but lynn thank you so much for being our guest on the show and for you're talking welcome. to us about the influences for the books and also the next book in the series and for reading to us it's been a joy thank you very much i really enjoyed it